number six, if you would. I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to have the Irwins here. These are tremendous folks with a tremendous message and song. And I sure hope you'll be back uh, for the concert at uh, 1.30 this afternoon. And I don't know about you, but when, uh, when I'm watching a good football game, I don't mind overtime. Somebody say amen. So... Uh, we might get into overtime a little bit this morning, but that's okay. I like it, okay? You can eat a hot dog real quick and jump back in here a little bit after that. Uh, what a blessing. I am thankful that Jesus is alive forevermore and holds the keys of death and hell. Let's uh, look at John's Gospel, chapter 6. We continue our study of the life of Christ, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and his present ministry among us. We are now entering into almost the third year of this series, and uh, I'm excited about it. Every unfolding chapter and page just continues to get better and better and better. Last time, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, and we learned that Christ is more than enough, and he supplied everything the crowd needed plus 12 baskets left over, and Christ is more than enough. He's more than enough for you today, having everything that you need for life and for godliness. The Bible then goes on to tell us that after this miracle, Jesus is going to engage a crowd of people unlike he's done before. Uh, before this time, there was a lot of conflict with a group of people known as the Pharisees, but this is really the first time that Jesus is going to directly engage the general population in a confrontational way. And really, the challenge that Jesus is going to give them is the same challenge that I've given you repeatedly at this church. And that is that discipleship is not a spectator sport and discipleship is not a Sunday morning kind of adventure Discipleship means that we are following Jesus Christ with our very lives. This is the message that Jesus is going to give these people after they come to him, after the feeding of the 5,000. Now for our reading today, I'm just going to read verses 60 through 68, and that will give us some context here. The Bible says, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. For there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve... Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Somebody help me up here this morning. 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. This is God's word. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. No turning back. No turning back. In this text, Jesus spoke to a group of disciples. And notice, he calls them all disciples. If you were to back up to verse 22 and following, you will learn this is not just the 12. Although the 12 are included in this talk, it is more than the 12. It is a multitude of people, a lot of the same people that have seen him break the bread and the fish and multiply them and feed them. And what Jesus is going to point out to them through this entire passage is that these people wanted what they could get from Jesus more than that they wanted Jesus himself. And he's going to share with them some very challenging things that are requirements for true discipleship and some of them simply couldn't hack it. Some of them from this very moment through the rest of the life of Christ no longer followed Jesus. I read the story, many of you have no doubt heard it, that in 1518, Hernando Cortez landed in Mexico, and as he landed, he ordered his men to burn their ships when they landed. Coming from Europe, landing in Mexico, they burnt their ships. And the point of them burning the ships was to remind these men that we are all in. We have forever sealed our opportunity to turn back. Interestingly enough, while this is the most common story that most of you have heard about burning bridges, the idea of burning bridges and burning boats is actually very, very old. It was first recorded uh, 200, or excuse me, about 500 years before Christ in a Chinese book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu, who said in the book, when your army crosses a border, you should burn your boats and bridges in order to make it clear to everyone in your army that you have no hankering for home. Alexander the Great practiced this, Hernando Cortez practiced this, as well as many others historically. The point of burning bridges was that we are here, we are all in, and we are not going back from where we came. In fact, many modern business writers have applied this strategy well. I read an article this week and they said if the ships are left in harbor, Metaphorically, your team will see that you are not fully committed to the battle, project, or transformation. If you are the leader not fully committed, then why should they be? By removing all available paths back to status quo, your team uh, will become as fully committed as you are. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does your life have a plan not to go back to the old life and the old ways in which you lived before you came to Christ? If anyone were to review your life, would they find bridges of friends or boats of bad habits that give you easy access back to where you were before you began to be a follower of Christ? Friends, this morning, it's time to burn those bridges. And I want to say to you that the Christian life was never intended to be started and to be stopped, to be begun and then to be given up on. The Christian life is a no-turning-back endeavor. 
And I want to give to you from John chapter 6, verses 60 through 68, three reasons why you should never turn back. Number one, you should never turn back because Christ is your life. Christ is your life. The point of this story really boils down to one thing. Do not miss Jesus. Even in the middle of miracles, even in the middle of blessings, don't miss Jesus. The story before us, as I mentioned before, falls after the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 22 says, On the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, However, other boats from Tiberias near the place where they had ate bread after they had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Look at verse 26. Jesus answered and said to them, watch this now. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs... But because you lay ate of the loaves and were filled, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life. They show Jesus, even though they didn't say this, he knew this about them, that the only reason you are here is because I did something for you. The only reason you're here is because you ate and you got full and you saw something exciting. He said, here's the problem with you. You saw the miracle, but you missed the sign. And this is super important, particularly as it relates to the Gospel of John. In fact, in John chapter number 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says many other miracles did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, you might have life through his name. The point of the seven miracles of the Gospel of John was that those miracles were a sign. And the sign was to point them to who Jesus was. And here's what they missed. They missed through the miracle what Jesus was trying to show them. And what Jesus was trying to show them is what was true. I am God. I am the Savior of the world. And there's no way you can have life except through me. Let me encourage you this morning. Do not miss the point. Do not miss the point of why you're here. Do not miss the point of the circumstances that allowed you to come. Do not miss what Christ is trying to do by focusing on what he did rather than who he is. I'm saying to you today, we should be craving the giver more than the gift. And we should be craving the miracle worker more than the miracle. And the whole time, if you're in this for what Jesus can, so to speak, do for you, you may miss the greatest miracle of all. And that's why in verses 27 through 29, he begins to point out to them that you are laboring or looking for meat that perishes, and you're trying to accomplish a work, but you don't really understand what my work is. And he does them by telling them that the work that he did is the work of providing salvation for them. In fact, look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Do you see what they're looking for here? They're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for some way that they can do what Jesus did. They want to be able to break the bread. They want to be able to uh, break the loaves. They want to be able to manipulate circumstances like Christ. 
They wanted what he could do, but they were missing what he had already done for them. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that you may believe in him who sent me. Folks, salvation never has been or never will be by the works that you do, but it is always by the work that Jesus has already done. It is finished. That is our message. Jesus bled. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And Jesus offers salvation to all who will believe. It's 2022. It's not about being a better you. It is not about turning over a new leaf. It is not about like getting in touch with your spiritual side. The only thing that matters here is that you understand that Christ died for you and he is your only hope of salvation. And for those of us that know that, It's very simple. Christ is our life. I didn't say your life was about Christ. I didn't say your life was interested in Christ. I didn't say that you even resemble Christ. I said our life is Christ. And you might be missing the point. The other day, Kendall Yarbrough sent me a text message and he was showing me about a an activity that he thought would be cool for our church. And, and I, I didn't really look into it until this week. It just, my memory was jarred. And I went back and found this text that he sent me about a baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. How many of you have ever seen this? Have you guys seen this thing? This is amazing. The Savannah Bananas. About four or five years ago, there was a single A New York Mets affiliate baseball team playing at a historic baseball stadium up in Savannah. But they were struggling. They would hardly have any Uh, fans come to uh, this game and so they were begging the city of Savannah to rebuild a brand new stadium and maybe that would help uh, South Georgia constituents to come and watch baseball but what they found is they didn't need a new stadium they needed a new show and so in 2016 or 450 in 2015 beginning of 2016 a new guy came in with a brand new concept, and it wasn't no, was no longer going to be a New York Mets single-A affiliate. This was actually going to be a summer college league baseball team that does a whole lot more than baseball when they came. They released their team name, the Bananas, in February 2016, and it went viral. Uh, being uh, interviewed about what the Savannah Bananas are, one woman said this, it's not even a baseball game. It is a circus. And one guy said it's a circus with baseball at the center stage, but really all the sideshow stuff makes the circus itself so special. The first base coach for the Savannah Bananas is a break dancer. The dance team is not a group of 20-year-old beautiful young women. It is a group of 60-year-old ladies that are the dance team. They have a pep band. Called by some the greatest show in sports. In fact, we're going to take a trip there this year. uh, Dates to be determined. But what in the world is up with the Savannah Bananas? The Savannah Bananas, although they are awesome, although it's entertaining, the fact is, overall, they kind of missed the point. It's supposed to be baseball. But it's a show. Folks, I'd hate to be somebody that attended a church where Jesus Christ was preached every Sunday and miss the point. Now, friends, you're going to miss that point to your eternal destruction. 
I am here to tell you, you better be sure that you're a disciple of Christ. You better not be here because your mama's here. You better not be here because your daddy drags you to church. You better not be here because you think this is a good place to connect with other people or that you like the music or you like the facility or you like the child care or you like lunch after a church service. That's not why we're here. We're here to follow Jesus because our life is about Christ. We are not turning back because Christ is our life. Number two, we will not turn back although others turn away. Now verse 66 and 67 tell us plainly that from this moment there were other disciples who went back and walked with him no more. There were people who were, if I want to borrow the term, at church at one point, but now they're no longer there. There were people who were following Christ, but now they weren't there. There were people who were listening to Christ, but now they're no longer in the crowd. And we've got to ask ourselves a question. Why did these people leave? Really, from verses 41 to 62, I'll summarize. I don't have time to read it all this morning. But essentially, they are asking about the bread and the multiplication of the bread. And Jesus is going to turn around and say, you actually missed it because I'm the bread. And then he says this. If you're going to have eternal life, listen to this. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's what he said. In fact, they could not, and we know, look at verse 60, we know that that was what the problem was. They said this is a hard saying. The word hard means difficult. Literally, it means harsh or severe. It's, it's listening to what Jesus said and just, just kind of reacting negatively to this. How could this be true? Now, what was Jesus talking about? Well, uh, one writer said the metaphor of eating and drinking was common in Jesus' day, pointed to taking within one's innermost being. Uh, you, ever, you, ever heard, you ever heard somebody say, I, I eat pressure for breakfast? Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Or, I eat, I eat this for lunch? Well, that's what the, it's a similar metaphor. We're saying, I, I want this. I want this to be a part of me. Here's all Christ is saying. It's obvious that he was using the bread to be a picture of himself. He was certainly not speaking literally like eat his body and drink his blood. The bread was a picture of him and the blood was a picture of his sacrifice. And here's all that Christ was saying. If you're going to be a follower of me, you will accept who I am and you will accept what I have done and you will follow me as the Lord of your life. And for so many people, folks, especially right now in 2022 in the United States of America, there's a whole lot of people that want a part of Jesus. They want a little bit of church. They want a little bit of his control on their life. But the fact of the matter is, they're not all in. And basically what Christ is saying, if you're going to follow me, it's about being all in, starting with how you get to me in salvation and finishing with following everything that I've said unto you. That's in the Great Commission, folks. Look, I, I know I cannot force everybody at a church to be all in. But I'll be sure to remind you about it. And you'll never get comfortable here. Ever get comfortable here as long as I pastor this church. And as long as it's my job to remind you every single Sunday of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'm not talking about Sunday morning only. I'm not talking about giving when it's convenient. I'm not talking about serving when I feel like it or missing when I don't. I'm talking about Christ is my life. 
and I'm not turning back. And if everybody else turns back, I'm not going anywhere. Folks, listen, people turn back on Christ weekly. And you've got to determine, I don't care who's going away, I am not. Why do people turn back? In their faith? Why do people give up on the Lord? Why do people stop going to church? Let me give you a few reasons in the Bible why people turn back. Number one, because they go through difficult things in life that become too challenging to bear. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. But he who receives the seed in stony places is he who immediately receives the word with joy, but through tribulation it does not take root. I've seen it over and over and over again. People go through hard times and difficult trials, and it pushes them right away from the Lord and right out the door. The second reason why people turn their back on Christ is because life brings distractions that turn people away. Matthew 13, verse 21, he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, watch it, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. He got distracted. Something else became more important. Something else took a priority. May have been a job, may have been a relationship, may have been a friend, may have been a career, may have been anything that keeps my eyes off of Jesus is not my friend. Number three, because life brings pleasures that are more attractive than Christ. First, Second Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He loved what he was doing. He loved time at home. He loved his vacations. He loved his life more than he loved Christ. Number four, people turn away from Christ because sin destroys people's lives. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Friend, I'm here to tell you, laced all over the seabed of church history are shipwrecks. I'm talking about people that turn away from their faith, people that put aside a clear conscience and embrace sin and follow the ways of the world, end up destroying their faith. Folks, you better believe it, sitting right beside of you a year ago with somebody who's not sitting beside you now. And sin is ugly, and sin is devastating, and sin is deceitful, and sin is a monster to be killed, not a pet to play with. Number five, because problems with people sometimes interfere with our focus on Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. People. Problems with people. Problems that mature Christians can solve and immature Christians run from. Somebody help me up here. Problems that mature Christians solve and immature people run from. I read this week, this is so interesting, a little perspective for all of us that think life is so hard. Oh, I know, listen, we have real problems, don't we? Your Amazon package was one day late. Your phone didn't work. Oh, my. Your Wi-Fi is weak. Gas went up 15 cents. Hey, listen, you're a martyr. If you want, let's just, let's just all come up here and receive an award. I mean, I get it. 
That's a real challenge out there. Your fast food order took seven minutes, not three. But if you happen to have been born in 1900, when you were 14, World War I began. By the time it ended, you're 18 years old. 22 million people are going to die by a pandemic called the Spanish flu. Killing 50 million I'm sorry, no, 22 million deaths in World War I, 50 million people died of the Spanish flu. If you happen to survive that alive, now you're 20. When you turn 29, there's a global economic crisis that started with the collapse of the New York Stock Exchange. By the time you turn 33, Nazis are in power and World War II is going to begin. It ends when you're 45 years old, which happens to be during the Holocaust. There will be 60 million deaths in total during that time. When you're 52 years old, the Korean War starts. When you're, 50, when you're 64 uh, years old, the Vietnam War starts, and it ends when you're 75 years old. But yet, a child born in 1985 thinks his grandparents have no idea how hard life is. A baby born in 1995 and is today 25 thinks it's the end of the world when his Amazon package uh, comes at day three instead of day two. And we get all jacked up when we get more than 20 likes on a photo and we go into depression when we don't get more than five. We've lost our minds. We've lost our minds. We are the problem. And you know what's crazy for many people? We're so jacked up with first world problems, we actually start connecting it to spiritual things. Like, oh no, God's no longer good. Oh, I'm going through such a hard time. How could this be? I just, I'm just not sure if I can get to church today. It's a problem, folks. And, and you think I'm kidding. People tur have turned away from God for less than I'm talking about. I will not turn back because... Christ is my life. I will not turn back, although others will. How about this? I'm not going to turn back because there's no better alternative. Now, this is what Peter said. Where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. I don't, you say, well, I'm not sure if I like that kind of argumentation. I, I mean, is this all? We're only in it for Jesus because he's better? No, no, no. That's not what I said. We are in it for Jesus, and it just so happens that he is better, and there is actually no better alternative. Isn't this what the entire book of Hebrews is all about? The whole book could be labeled Jesus is better to a people who considered turning back on their faith because they were persecuted and tribulation was ripping their lives apart. The, the word, this word, the book of Hebrews comes to them because they're thinking of returning to the bondage of legalism. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Because Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than prophets. He's better than Moses. His new covenant's, come on, his new covenant's better than the old one. His priesthood is better than Adam. His blood is better than bulls and goats. He is better. Christ, the true and better Adam, son of God and son of man, who when tempted in the garden never yield, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again, dying. He reserved, reversed the curse and rising crushed the serpent's head. Come on now, Christ is a true and better Isaac, humble son of sacrifice, who would climb that fearful mountain there to offer up his life. 
laid with faith upon the altar, Father's son and uh, Father's joy and only son. There, salvation was provided out of full and boundless love. Hear me now. Christ is a true and better Moses. Called to lead the people home, standing boldly to earthly powers, God's great glory to be known. With his arms stretched wide to heaven, see the waters part in two. A veil is torn forever, cleansed with blood to now pass through. Hear me now. Christ is a true and better David, lowly shepherd, mighty king, champion in the battle. Where, O oh death, is now your sting? In my place he bled and conquered. Crown him Lord of majesty. His throne shall be forever. We shall ever his people be. Hear me, church. I want to tell you, what are you going to go back to if you do turn back now? Why would I want to go back to darkness when I'm in light? Somebody help me up here. Why would I want to go back to chains of addiction when I walk in freedom? Why would I want to go back to immorality when I've been cleansed by the blood? Why would I want religion when I've tasted a relationship? Why would I want to go back to an empty pursuit of materialism when Christ is all I need and all I want? Why would I go back to a disappointing dependence upon relationships when I have Christ, the greatest friend I've ever known? It's just simple. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me and the cross before me, no turning back. Come on, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That song was penned by a 19th century American Baptist missionary to India. The story came to him through... A man by the name of Dr. Porienju Job, known by the Indians as a medical missionary named Dr. P.P. Job. It is said directly, first-hand account, that Dr. Job witnessed the last words of a man in India by the name of Noxine. He was a tribal man. A missionary reached that village in the 19th century and he... And his family were the first followers of Christ in the village. The tribe people he belonged to wanted him to stop believing in Christ because for the most part the rest of the tribe decided not to follow Jesus. For that reason, they called upon him to renounce his faith, paying no attention to the efforts of the tribe at all. The new Christian proclaimed to them, I have decided to follow Jesus. When they ripped his two precious children and his wife away from him and drugged them to their death, he said, though no one join me, still I will follow. And while they took his own life. Come on. He said, the world behind me and the cross before me. No turning back. That is what disciples do. Let's pray together.
I want to encourage you this morning. First of all, I just, I don't know if you're with me, but I know I was ministered to in great fashion during the song service. And I know a part of me just wanted to spring to that altar and just thank God that the clouds are the dust of his feet. And I know there's a lot of people that are troubled and burdened. I want to encourage you. We now have these amazing carpeted stairs where you can get on your knees and talk to God here at church and it's not going to hurt your knees. I want to encourage you in just a minute when these folks sing, I want to encourage you to come and to spend some time in prayer concerning that burden that you felt that you're concerned about that they sang about and just bring it to the Lord. If you want somebody to pray with you, just come. We'll, we'll make sure somebody prays with you. I want to ask two other questions. One, is there anybody here that has not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Right here, right now. You do not know for certain if you died that you would go to heaven, but you want to know. You're not sure about that, but you want to know. Would you let me know who you are right now by just simply slipping up your hand high enough that I could see it and then lower it right back down? I won't embarrass you. I won't call you up. Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. I do not know for certain that Jesus is my Savior and heaven is my home, but I want to know. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? Is there anybody like that at all? Anybody like that at all? Is there someone to say, Preacher, I want to follow Christ. I don't want to turn back. I want him to have every bit of my life, and I needed the message today. Would you pray for me, Preacher? How many of you say that? Just lift your hand up and say that. That's me, Preacher. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you. Let's all stand as the Irwins sing this closing invitation song. If you're here for baptism, you can head out to get changed for baptism. And right now the altars are open. I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to pray. Carry your burden to the Lord. Follow Jesus as they sing. The altars are open. We encourage you to come and spend some time in prayer.
Amen. It starts with that, but it ends with that. Where he leads me, I will follow. That's a great prayer. Appreciate the song. Appreciate you guys being with us. What a blessing. Amen. Let's thank the Irwins for being with us today. Well, we're going to have some fellowship in just a moment. Let me just go ahead and be seated. i got a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to get on our way. got a baptism this morning, so I need, I need direction to get, like, I need y'all to be with me, okay? I can't be having sheep with no shepherd here, okay? Just wandering around, trying to figure it out. Okay, so, so first of all, when we leave here, there's, there's three immediate things that you should do. If you have a connection card, if you have an offering, uh, there's the box right there on your way out. Just drop it in there. If you are a guest with us and you're, you've come maybe to, uh, because you, you know the Irwins, which is great. There's going to be a lot more people coming this afternoon. And you would like to be a blessing to them financially. You can uh, put, a, put a gift in there. You can mark it. There's an envelope in your seat back pocket. Uh, just If you're writing a check, just write one check to River City. We'll get them, uh, we'll get them one check for their uh, being with us today.